Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I'm talking to a fellow Missourian and his name is Chad Hopkins. We actually found out that we've got a lot in common from where we live, the type of hunting we do, our hunting history, the camo we wear, the bow we shoot. I mean, a lot in common. And so that's pretty cool. And there's a couple funny connections that we made right before we started recording. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. It's always fun to talk to someone here locally that I can relate a lot more to as far as the hunting world goes. And so we dive into a wide range of topics and I think you guys are going to enjoy this. So let's jump right in. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Chad Hopkins. And Chad and I connected. Actually, we've been talking a little bit about the history I didn't know this until just a minute ago, but he reached out on social media, talked about being on the show, and then he just told me he actually tried to buy something off of Facebook Marketplace from me before Christmas. And I was like, small world. I don't think we've ever had any interaction before now. But uh, yeah, that was kind of funny how that worked out. Anyways, totally off subject. But Chad, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, so why don't you start out by telling listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe some hunting history, um, kind of what you enjoy in the outdoors. Yeah. Um, I started hunting at a pretty young age while fishing first. Um, my grandparents who we lived really close to about 80 yards, probably from them growing up until I was about 11, uh, had like a nine acre lake in front of their house, a couple hundred yards from their house. So my grandpa was big into cat fishing and bass fishing and got me and my brother involved in that pretty early on. And then that kind of just led into rabbit hunting and squirrel hunting, just small game stuff. He never was really like a big deer hunter or turkey hunter. It was more, he liked going out and just jumping brush piles, shooting rabbits out of them. Um, So I got started doing that. I don't know, probably six or eight years old. And then uh, around that same time, my mom had met my stepdad and my stepdad was pretty big into archery hunting for whitetail and rifle hunting and stuff like that. So he got us, he'd take us out and just sit in the stand with him. And, uh, I guess about nine years old, I think was the first time I actually got to go on a youth hunt. Um, and it didn't, I didn't kill my first deer until I think I was 12. Um, but had a lot of opportunities, but when you're young, you know, you, uh, make bad or not make bad shots. You just plain miss pretty much is how it goes. So, (laughs) I had a, a bunch of encounters when I was younger and that kind of really got me, me hooked on it. And, uh, watched my stepbrother who's two years older than me. I watched him shoot his first deer when we were younger. And then 
I shot my first deer, like I said, around 12, but was by myself. My stepdad was just up the hill, but it set me on a, a tree below him. So, uh, and from the first time, you know, I got the opportunity to actually harvest a deer. I was pretty much it. That was pretty much what my, my focus was on was deer hunting. Um, got into turkey hunting too, but I don't even think I killed my first turkey until I was, I think, a sophomore or junior in high school. So 16 or 17. Um, and then I worked the whole summer that I was between 12 and 13. I worked cutting grass so I could buy a bow. In that fall, I killed my first deer at 13 with a bow. So once that happened, rifle hunting kind of took a backseat to archery hunting. And uh, from 13, and I'm 30 now. So for the last 17 years, my main focus has pretty much been archery hunting whitetails. That's awesome. Have you have you thought about going more primitive? Like, are you using a compound, or have you have you like <laughs> dropped down to a recurve or anything like that? Um, yeah, I use a compound I shoot a Matthews VXR. Um, and I'm kind of a Matthews snob when it nice. comes down to it, uh, about every, not every year, but every other year, uh, here recently, at least I've gotten a new bow or the newest one that's came out. So, uh, I didn't get the V3, but, um, I, I didn't see any real difference between my VXR and the V3, but yeah, I've considered it and it's just, um, I don't know if I'm nervous to try it like i won't be good at it or what it is it's just kind of i'm hesitant to get into like a recurve or a longbow yeah i feel like i think i've talked about it on the show in the past it seems like the um, natural progression is actually a digression when it comes to technology Mm -hmm. like people might start out rifle hunting and then they drop back to like alternative whether it's muzzleloader or they'll just go straight to bow and they'll shoot compound bows. Some people get into it with crossbows. And then, like, the more and more serious people get, I feel like the more primitive the weapon gets. And yeah, I've, I've always been curious about that. It's like it brings you back to your roots maybe. I mean, now atlatl hunting or atlatl. I don't know. That's exactly. a crazy aspect to me. <laughs> like, oh yeah. I'm I like, dude, I can't imagine like this year was a rough year for me with my bow. I just didn't have a ton of encounters. And yeah. I think there's a lot of things that played into that, but thinking about having basically a giant soup ladle with a spear <laughs> hooked to it. And I'm like chucking it at a deer in years. Like, past, do I do that I've out of a close. tree stand? Or- oh yeah. I'm like, I, I can't imagine doing it down but I have had plenty of ca- encounters in the past where I currently hunt where I could have literally dropped a knife on a deer. I mean, they were that close. And yeah. so I don't know. I, I love, I've got a Matthews VXR as well. Absolutely love it. And if someone was like, Hey, you could shoot a recurve instead. I'd be like, screw you. Like, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> yeah, not really interested for fun. Maybe, but I think the only think, way I would get into it is if they extended the season and they were like, Hey, we've got another month you can hunt if you use a recurve. Yeah. I would probably jump all over that. That would be like, yeah, I, I would go get one tomorrow if they did. That. Let's do like, a petition. I think we could start a petition online and just get an extra month of hunting out of them. Yeah. But you got to only shoot does I think because we, I mean, well, you got to make sure it's a doe because I've already seen pictures of deer dropping antlers already I this know. year. So like if we go a whole nother month, like we're taking out, you know, what if we did a, half, a month a early deer. though, and you could, sh- you'd have more opportunities at velvet deer. 
Yeah, I would be all over that too because that's actually that's probably one of my goals as well. In as far as hunting goes, is to kill a velvet whitetail. Yeah, uh, I've actually been talking to one of my buddies about maybe going to Kentucky in the next couple of years. Nice to try to do that. Yeah, I would either that either the month after season or the month before. I would be one hundred percent for that. Yeah, I'm. Not, I I think I'm not as concerned with the month after season as I would be with before because we've got a longer gap between seasons. I feel like at the front end. Yeah. I mean, yep. if you count dove, I guess not as much, but there's not a ton of serious dove hunters out there. I absolutely love it. It's tradition here. We go every year. We make a big event out of it. But on the tail end of season, it's like you come out of archery. There's not much time before you jump into turkey and that gap in mm-hmm. between there. We typically fill with coyote hunting and we shoot as many coyotes as we can in the gap leading up yep. to turkey season. Yeah, there's a lot. I have, well, I have a lot of downtime. I don't dove hunt and I don't duck hunt. Duck hunting is something I'd like to get into, but I already spend a lot on whitetail hunting and I can't imagine what I would spend on duck hunting. Oh, it's no joke. So, uh, like my brother-in-law, he's a big duck hunter. He loves it and he's been trying to get me to go for four or five years. And I'm like, man, I'll get to the point and I'll like go to buy my stamp or whatever for missouri and i'm like 50 bucks i'm like are you serious and he's like yeah that he's like but that's it that you know you like you buy it once a year and i'm like man i can't i don't want to spend the 50 dollars, which is kind of absurd because if i tallied up what i spend a year on hunting it's well over 50 dollars. so yeah but um yeah like when turkey season ends for me until end of june beginning of july i'm really there's a huge downtime and then all that july to september 15th is just running cameras mm-hmm. for the most part or watching hunting shows just so i feel like i'm <laughs> doing something yep but uh yeah if, they, if we got like say the end of august even just three weeks two weeks of a season to hunt velvet i would love that yeah because I, I think i think for the most part they're typically done growing by the beginning to middle of August. So we're not really going to mess anything up there, but I don't know. Missouri gives us a lot of opportunities to be out in the woods. So I'm grateful for that. But again, the velvet thing is definitely a goal. Yeah. I think it'd be really cool. I've seen people randomly shoot a buck that hasn't shed his velvet yet in Missouri, but it's very rare. I mean, I hardly ever see it. I think it's really only only the past two years that I've actually seen Mm -hmm. on like the Missouri uh, bow hunters page and all that where some random person shoots a monster in velvet still. Um, Where, where are you hunting? I mean, are you mainly hunting in central Missouri? Uh, Yeah. So um, Gasconade County, um, which if you're not Missouri, you're not going to have any idea where I'm talking about, but Gasconade County, Osage County and uh, Mary's County a little bit. And then, uh, we just got a lease up in Audrain County. So I got to hunt up there one time this year. We didn't get, we only got it for the last month of season. Okay. And that was pretty much just going up there and putting cameras out and just seeing what was there. Um, we had a really good, like two and a half year old 10 pointer on camera who, if he's made it, we've got pictures of him just last week. So I know he made it through season. Yeah. Um, so he should be hoping he's going to be a monster next year, but then he's only three and a half. So we try to do the quality, you know, 
gear management thing. Um, and then I put in for a management hunt in Callaway County every year as well. Nice. So mainly central Missouri. Um, I'm wanting to try to get into just more public land, just traveling around Missouri. There's so many places. It's just, uh, having time. Yeah. Are you, are you seeing pretty good deer up there? I mean, as far as the bucks you get on camera, what, what, um, class would you put them in? Um, this year. So one of the properties I hunt in Osage County is my buddy's, uh, dad's property. And he shoots, uh, his name's Ben. He'll shoot, uh, like a one fifty every year there. Nice. So I don't run cameras there because he's got cameras all over the place. Um, that's, you know, that's a pretty good place for him. Uh, and then I kind of get the, the stragglers if there's yeah. one, you know, that's old enough. Um, we try not to shoot anything under, uh, like under four years old or under hundred like 40 inches. So, uh, the spot that I hunt close to my house, which is mainly where I hunted this year, was a new piece of property. I got permission to hunt just a small, like hundred acre piece. Um, we had, there was a, probably a three and a half year old 10 pointer that might've pushed 130. Um, I seen that deer so many times this year and it was so hard not to shoot him, <laughs> but I, I was hoping that he was going to make it, but I don't think he did. Oh, bummer. Um, and then I got three pictures of a nine pointer that it probably would push 150 but they were so sporadic that I just couldn't even pattern him. Like the first one I got was the weekend before rifle season. Um, and then I got another one of him like mid December and then just, uh, right before season ended. So I had no idea what that deer was doing. Um, excuse me on that same piece of property this year. I, uh, as far as deer movement, it was great. I seen probably more deer this year than I have ever. I just was so picky about what I wanted to shoot that I passed. I, I didn't kill a deer this year. I went all archery, all rifle season without killing a deer, which is, I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. Um, but I was just really super picky about what I wanted to shoot. And, uh, usually early season, I'll try to shoot a doe or at least, at least one, if not two, but our, we have a walk-in cooler and it went out this year. So oh, I didn't no. have any place to put them in with how hot it is early season here. I just didn't want to, I didn't, well, I work, you know, eight to five and then I have kids. So getting home and being able to cut up a deer, it just, I don't have a lot of time to do it. And I didn't want to let it sit in a, like a cooler on ice. So, um, the movement this year was better, like I said, than any year, uh, as far as like matured bucks, I, I shot an eight pointer, actually hit him in the shoulder, the end of. October. He was probably a four and a half year old eight pointer. Um, and then that nine pointer, they were the only two that I would have shot. Yeah. The, um, the buck activity down here, it's been, it's been really good. And then it's been like completely absent. Um, this year I feel like we had decent bucks, a lot of bucks that should be good deer next year, and a couple that I know for sure made it. Um, I just saw pictures of them like four or five nights ago maybe. And I think the issue this year was with how warm everything was. We didn't, mm-hmm. down here at least, I don't feel like we saw serious rut activity. 
I feel like it wasn't as concentrated as it normally is. I think there was mild rut activity for a longer period of time, but the days that we normally see it, it's like you'll see bucks all day long or even on my trail cameras, Mm -hmm. I'll get seven, eight, nine bucks on camera in a two or three hour period. I know that a hot doe went through and all these bucks are coming through after. And I just didn't have a single day like that this year. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. And there was plenty of people around here saying, oh, the rut's going and it's strong. And I'm like, well, the first week in November for me typically is what I is when I really want to be in the woods with my bow, like Halloween until rifle season, that time span right there. Like I want to be in the woods as much as I can, which I think any serious whitetail hunter or anybody that thinks they're serious about whitetail hunting is going to say the same thing. Um, But I spent a good amount of time in that time span in my tree stand. And I seen more bucks chasing does like the 19th through the 23rd of October than I did then. Wow. And I had pictures of a, I know it was the same uh, doe with the same, she had twins and they were both button bucks. And I had pictures of her consistently with those two fawns. Like she never, they never got ran off. They were just with her all the time. So the, I don't, I don't know this year, like you said, it could have been the weather. I don't know what it was, but it was definitely different than what it's ever been. Yeah. At least for me. Yeah. I noticed that same thing with does that had, um, yearling fawns. I had two, two does that had triplets on the property that I lived on this year. And then I had two more does that had twins and I would see them all the time, like crossing the driveway, mm-hmm. walking, walking the trash can down, driving on my way into town, whatever. And even on my trail cameras, I would have like seven or eight does, or I mean, seven or eight fawns in the trail camera pictures at once. And I'm like, man, this is cool. Well, then all throughout season, I would get them on camera, like probably every two days, maybe every three days. And they always had the fawns with them. And I'm like, this just seems weird, you know? Normally, you Mm -hmm. see the does sprinting past your camera just out of breath because they've been (laughs) running so much. And they all just looked content. No no worries at all. And then the buck activity there, too. I'm like, man, I've got so many does here, so many yearlings, that there's got to be bucks working through. I probably had... I think two pictures on the property that I lived on of mature bucks this year, just two, Really, like not even two days of pictures, just two pictures period. Um, when last year, I think I probably had close to 50 or 60 pictures of mature deer. So yeah, that's man, that would just knock me down. Like that would knock the wind right out of my sails. I would just be so, I don't know. Yep. And that's, and that's kind of, the eight pointer that I had, like I told you, I shot in the shoulder. He, uh, I didn't get pictures of him until I shot him in on the 23rd of October. And then my first picture, I think was like the 17th or the 18th and he was coming in. So like that time of October, you know, it's getting dark at like what, like six 30 or so. Yeah. He was coming in like for the first three nights at like seven 15 to seven 20. And then I was like, I'm not going to go in there. I was like, he's not close enough to daylight. I'm not going in there. So I kind of would just, I have a cell phone camera in that spot. So I'd get pictures sent to my phone every like four hours, I think it is. 
So the next like two days, he was coming in at like 6.45. And I was like, oh, he's getting closer. I was like, once he, you know, gets to like that 6.35, 6.40 area, I was like, that I'll go in there. So <clears throat> like the 22nd, I got a picture of him at like, I think it was like right after like legal shooting light. And that next day they were calling for rain. So it was a Saturday and uh, I went out the place that I hunt out by my parents. So my fiance was at work and I just, I didn't have my kids that weekend. So I just went out and I hung out at my parents and my brother was there. Uh, he hunts as well. And then my stepdad in mid October to late October is when my stepdad really gets into like going out in the woods. And he's like, what are you, what are you doing today? And I was like, I'm going to go hunting. He's like, Oh, he's like, you got anything on camera? I was like, yeah, I'm going to kill this eight pointer. And uh, he's like, why do you think that? I was like, well, it's been raining all day. And I was like, they're calling for the rain to stop at like, I think it was like one o'clock. So the rain stops and I got in my tree stand at like one o'clock and I didn't see a deer until I think almost five. So, <clears throat> which it happened to be that 10 pointer I was telling you about earlier. He came in uh, bumping a doe and uh, he came in, he kind of milled around in the woods a little bit and ate. And then about 30 minutes later, out of the ravine behind me, I heard another buck chasing a doe and I looked over and it happened to be that eight pointer. So he comes and he's at like 12 yards and, uh, I go to draw back. And at first I didn't think I wasn't going to shoot him, but he stood there. And the more I looked at him and I was like, all right, he's old enough. So I go to draw back. And like, when I drew back, my arm scraped my side and my jacket made a little bit of noise and he didn't look directly at me. He looked like under my, my stand. And, uh, I touched my release off. And as soon as I like shot, he ducked my arrow, but also went to like spin to leave yeah. and put his shoulder just right perfectly where I was aiming. Like I had, I had my pin like uh, dead in the crease right behind the shoulder. Like I was yeah. so confident in the shot. And then I just heard this loud thwack and I was like, Hmm. And I see him run off and my arrow is sticking out of him. And I'm like, from the stand, I couldn't tell how deep, how much penetration I'd gotten. So I waited like 30 minutes and I get down and I look over like 10 yards from where I shot him and my arrows laying there and I can't see any blood on it. It blew my Luminoc completely out of my arrow. Oh, and I man. was like, did the walk of shame back to my car, like yep. 300 yards through the woods, just with my head down pouting about it. And I get back to the house and my brother's like, or I texted my brother and my fiance and told him that I shot the deer. Cause when I shot, I thought for sure, like he was dead. Yeah. So then I got to go back to the house and like, tell him you know like here's the arrow and there's no blood on it <laughs> like it was just i don't know i thought i had it like i like i said i watched him for like five or six days and i got him like patterned and then that happened and that was i oh, i don't man. even i don't even think i went back out for i got ended up getting pictures of him uh so shot him on a saturday ended up getting pictures of him the following tuesday and then that weekend was youth season and the the neighbor's kid actually ended up killing him during youth season. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was good. I didn't, cause one of my blades had broken off my broadhead in his shoulder and I was concerned that he was going to die from like infection or something. So I'm glad that, you know, he actually, well, especially a kid got to harvest him. So, yeah. Yeah. We, <clears throat> uh, we found an elk. Well, my buddy shot an elk a couple of years ago and we found a traditional broadhead buried in its shoulder. And I mean, the Ooh. whole shoulder was like pudding. I mean, it was just like nasty green. The flesh was just being eaten away by bacteria. So we lost an entire quarter on that one. But Dang. that thing got shot. I mean, I'm trying to think when 
the last archery season was before our hunt. It had to have been a full 30 days, maybe up to 60 days before that it got shot. And so injured animals are crazy, man. Like when you look at wildlife, dude, if I've got like a stub toe, I'm not moving (laughs) anywhere. And these animals just have a crazy will to live and survive. Um, But speaking of like deer ducking your arrow or turning away from it or turning into it, and messing up your shot placement. I saw a video probably it was in the middle of season this year. And this guy shoots this huge buck. I mean, it's a tank, probably like a 170. And I think he was in a blind, like a big box blind and he shoots. And as soon as he shoots, this buck ducks and turns away and he hits it right in the head and drops it in its tracks. And I was like, I, I had to watch it like two or three times. I don't have and that so kind of luck. <laughs> I'm on like YouTube, right? And I keep like backing it up to the point of the shot and I'm trying to slow it down. And I do that multiple times. And then finally, if I would have been smart, I would have just let the whole video play through because they already did that for me. They like completely slowed it down, <laughs> freeze framed it. And uh, yeah, right. I mean, he was aiming right at the vitals. It dropped and turned all in one motion, and he just smoked it in the head, and it was just laying there with an arrow in its head. I that's crazy. Yeah, I would never be that lucky. I would. Yeah, that with, with my luck, I'd like shoot it. I'd shoot. It would duck and turn, and I'd blow right through the main beam and like just yeah knock one side of the antlers yeah. off. Or my arrow would go flying through the woods, and I'd never find it again, or something stupid like that. Yeah. My brother had a, a bad encounter like that in Wisconsin years ago. Um, he had a corn pile out by his stand, and for a long time, you could put up to a gallon out at a time, I think, um, like one gallon a day. And so he, he would always bring an ice cream bucket full of corn, dump it out. He's like, well, I know that's a gallon. He would dump it out, yeah. go sit up in his stand, and he's like, dude, the biggest buck I've ever seen while hunting comes in and it's eating at my corn pile and we didn't have any trail cameras out or anything. So we never had any footage or reason to believe this thing even existed. He's like, dude, I draw back on it. I'm super confident. It was like 15 to 20 yards and he shoots and his arrow explodes. And he's like, part of my arrow is like tumbling through the air or like helicoptering through the air smokes the deer in the antler the other part drops straight to the ground and he's like it ran off never saw it again and he's like wow. it was the biggest buck i've ever seen <laughs> that's that would be me a hundred percent yeah so when i yeah when i was like nothing like that like my arrow didn't explode but when i was like 15 or 16 i the one of the biggest deer i would have had the opportunity to kill at the time uh he was like I don't know. It was like a uh, eight or nine pointer. I don't remember exactly, but he was probably like, I don't know, like 125, 130 inches, which I thought was huge then. Cause you know, back then deer, well deer now and what we would see back then around here, there's like just no comparison. Like my stepdad killed 143 inch, uh, 11 pointer in like 1998. And that was like one of the biggest deer I had ever seen at the yeah. time. But now it's like, nothing for somebody to go kill 150 160 inch deer yeah um but anyway so i'm i'm in a box stand which is like built out of like two by fours and plywood like 10 feet off the ground in a ravine and then there's a the railing comes up to like my chest so i have to be you know half of my body has to be exposed to be able to shoot <laughs> and uh this deer comes 
from the top of the ravine down. So he's like eye level with me. And to this day, I have no idea how far I thought this deer was, but I'm pretty sure he's probably like 50 yards through the woods. And I'm like, Oh, that's no problem. I can make that shot. <laughs> so I pull back, I go to shoot and I release my arrow and I just hear like, Doomp! and I look and there's this little bitty like limb hanging down, right? Like 15 yards from me that I just couldn't see through my side housing. So I hit this limb. The deer turns around, who had no idea I was there, turns around, looks right at me, and then just walks up the hill. Like, there's nothing I can oh do about gosh. it, because like I said, he's already at like 50 yards, which I shouldn't even have taken the shot anyway, but I was young, you know, just not experienced. When you're young, and, uh, you think you can make any shot, especially right. after getting a bow and practicing with it. It's like, oh, dude, I'm Robin Hood with this thing. I could like <laughs> aim it over the horizon and drop a deer out in that field. Yeah. So... Yeah, that was, you know, my arrow didn't explode, but that's one of the, I think that's the only time I've done that. Uh, I'm more uh, cautious about the shots I make now for sure. Yeah. I, I shot at a deer. It, I think it would have been my first archery kill. I was walking through the woods. I've always been a restless hunter. Like even this mm. year. I went up to Wisconsin for rifle season. I just get bored and walk through the woods. Now, when I'm here in Missouri with my bow, I never do that. But as a kid, I used to do that. And I think there's something about going and visiting all of my family members and their little blinds or at their stands or going and being like, dude, climb down and come like, let's go eat <laughs> lunch or something. Um, but I was walking through the woods one time and I, I bumped this deer well, I don't even bump it. I like just looked up and it's halfway up the hill in front of me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's a deer. Grab my bow, draw it back. Didn't have a range finder at that point. I think back then we would buy the packs of, they had like neon green, pink, blue. Um, like the thumbtacks? Yeah, like thumbtack deals. You <laughs> could either hang them on a branch or stick them to a tree. And so we would go and just pace it off, literally stand at the base of our tree pace it off and then we'd tack the color that associated with our um, pins and so I'm like I never needed a, a rangefinder at all so I'm walking through the woods this deer's just in front of me I just guess draw back shoot I as I'm like lowering my bow I see red and so I'm like dude I smoked that thing like absolutely smoked it it takes off running I start going, I go up there and I'm looking for blood and I can't find blood anywhere. And I'm like, what in the world? I know I saw red. I know I saw red. So I follow it or I follow the direction that it went, go over to my dad, tell him, he's like, did you shoot one? I was like, yeah, I did. I smoked it. Like I just need to find blood and then I'll track it all this and that. He climbs down from his stand. We go over and there's no blood anywhere. No hair because I didn't ever hit the deer. And what I realized later on, I found my arrow buried in the base of this tree, like never got the broadhead back. I unscrewed the arrow and the broadhead just grew into the tree. What I realized is that my, um, the release for my quiver on the side of the bow, it's just red. Like it's the only red thing on the whole bow. And so as I lowered it, I must've just caught that out of the corner of my eye as it passed by the deer and I thought the deer was pumping out bright red blood. <laughs> so, yeah, now luckily we've got rangefinders, and yeah. I don't have to 
tack like highlighter colors all over the woods we used to do the same thing we would just you know like when we'd hang a stand or whatever and majority of like when i was growing up the property so we uh we rented a house that was on like um i think almost 400 acres and the landlord would let us hunt there we just couldn't shoot the cows (laughs) so (laughs) we uh all the stands that were there, luckily, luckily, when I started bow hunting, had already pretty much established. Like, my stepdad would just take us out there. He'd be like, "This is the, where the stand is. Like, this is how far you know, say the old logging road is from the stand, or this tree is from the stand." Like, he kind of took care of that. But anytime we would hang a new stand, we would, like you said, pace it off, and then we'd just make a mental note like that tree's fifteen yards, that one's thirty, yep. and. uh pretty much just try to remember what stand we were in. I don't think I, I didn't start using a rangefinder until I was probably 20 and I'm sure I know they were out before then. It was just not something that I felt like I needed. Um, cause the farthest shot I think we ever, I ever made before, you know, starting bow hunting was probably like 10, 15 yards. Maybe we just, I don't know. We just, the deer would come close. <laughs> I, I always tried to talk my dad into getting range finders for everyone. And he was, he would just look at me like I was the dumbest person on the planet. And he'd be like, we know the corn piles at 20 yards. And I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I guess you have a point there. But I mean, <laughs> since then, Wisconsin's gone back and forth with banning baiting of any kind. Like they've gone, I think to mineral baiting and then back to where you could use corn and then to nothing. And so I know that's a lot of stuff is going to change. I feel like in the next 10 years, um, well, even, even this year, looking at the trail cameras states that are banning Utah? them. Yeah. I think it's like Utah, yeah. Nevada and Arizona now. That's crazy to me because I, I mean, like I would still hunt obviously, Yeah, but, and I guess, I don't know. I, I would have a hard time with that. I think. I like, there's something about getting notifications on my phone or going out and pulling a card out that just adds to the whole experience for me. Like that's part of it for me. Um, But then again, you know, the first half of my hunting, I'm not going to say career, but the time I've spent hunting, we didn't have cameras either. Or if we did, it was the ones that you had to take the 35 millimeter roll of film to Walmart and get it, you know, printed off and wait two or three weeks just to find out what was on there. So, I mean, I guess it would take me back to a time before, like when I didn't know what was there and every deer that I seen was a surprise, but I really like knowing what's coming by my stand. Yeah. I, I've learned, I've got a love hate relationship with trail cameras right now. I love documenting deer. I love just seeing them, seeing the way they interact on camera. I've had videos of coyotes chasing off like 15 deer in the orchard behind my house. Um, Lots of really cool things on trail camera. But I've also come to realize I can't hunt my trail cameras. Like just because I'm not seeing deer on them doesn't mean the deer are gone. I've I've seen that year after year, like after they shed velvet, my pictures of deer go down by probably 90%. They're still using the area. They've just changed how they're accessing certain parts. And I have all of my trail cameras on a field edge because the woods, we just don't go in there. We, we leave that as basically the sanctuary. 
we try to hunt the field edge and so I'm like, I'm going to set my trail cameras up on the outside, try to figure out where they're, where they're crossing the fence, which I think is also an issue that I've had because it depends on the day. It depends on their mood. It depends on mm-hmm. the wind. They'll, they'll cross the same fence 15 feet down from where they did the night before where they've got an established trail for no reason whatsoever. I mean, I'm sure there's a reason, but I can't figure it out. And so I just had, I had to quit using my trail cameras as like I, I quit using them, I guess as a deterrent for, for hunting, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I completely agree with that. Like your, your, your camera only picks up what 25 to 50 feet in front of it. So there's just because in that, that lease that I was telling you about that we have, the deer don't come directly in front of my camera. Luckily enough, I have uh, a tactic cam, which is, has a pretty good range on it. Yeah. But most of the deer that I get on camera, there are 50 feet or, or maybe a little farther where my camera just barely catches them. Like most of the time I can't even make out what they are, but I know that the deer are in the area. Um, I think my number one thing with having the trail cameras out though, is that I get to see deer grow. Like if I'm, especially like, if I'm passing a two and a half, three and a half year old buck for the next year. And then I get to, I continuously have pictures of him for, you know, a year, two years, three years, whatever it may be. I can go back and look and say, when I, if I do get to harvest him, I can go back and say, well, this is what he looked like. Like, this is what he was. This is where he's at now. And I, I think that's my number one thing with him. I just enjoy getting to see, like, if I can't be in the woods, I want to be able to see him is what it comes down to, I guess. Well, I wonder but how they don't stop me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the key thing. You can definitely use them to tell you when you should be in the woods, but yeah, don't let them keep you from going hunting because of a lack of deer movement on them. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called bull elk beard oil. If you spend any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh or in the woods, you have felt the effects of the wind the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. Um... I'm curious though to see how all of these states are going to enforce the no camera rule. Like in my mind, you can't really say you can't use these for hunting, but let them be used for everything else. Because even if I didn't have them for hunting, I would still want them out on the property. One to check for people that shouldn't be out there because we have Mm -hmm. had people poaching out there. We've had uh, kids come out and throw like bonfires out in the field and just (laughs) leave it a mess. Uh, I get random people on cameras a lot. And then another thing is there was a cow 
that got loose from the pasture and got into the bean field and then into the woods that we had to go and like push back out. We had to cut the fence, push it through, patch the fence. And so I'm thinking, okay, that gave us information on how long it's been there, which direction it first came from. And so even though it's on a hunting property, I would still keep them out there for those other purposes. So I'm curious if they don't completely outlaw them, how they're going to enforce for like the not for hunting rule. Yeah. I, and I I think it comes back to like baiting, like you were talking about too. Like, you know, obviously, well, I don't know how long you've been in Missouri, but we can't, you know, hunt over that. I, I think we're, I, some counties allow mineral, um, other counties don't with the CWD stuff, yep. but how, how are they monitoring that as well? Like, are they going to hire multiple or, you know, thousands of conservation agents to send out and just walk through the woods? Oh, like, yeah. so I don't know how they would regulate that. Um, well, I, I think hope Missouri doesn't come to that with the cameras, but, yeah. uh, I guess we'll see. No, I think, I think what a lot of, or a lot of the things they're doing is by a like report basis, right? I've never been stopped Mm -hmm. at my hunting property, but I don't do illegal stuff on it. Like I don't give people a reason to call. I'm not out there shooting rifles at night. I did have a friend whose wife just busted a couple guys that literally were spotlighting deer and shooting them from the road in their truck. And this was only a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago now. Um, but I don't do anything like that, you know? So I don't, I don't think I'll ever have a conservation agent just out of the blue randomly show up and check the property. It, it's definitely possible, but highly unlikely with the area right. that I'm in. But I just, I try to play by the rules. I think once they start overstepping and start making laws and legislation that are affecting the hunting community in a negative way that don't really have any logic or science to back them. I'm going to have luckily Missouri, I think has a pretty level head like the Missouri department of conservation does. I see them managing very well. I don't see them enforcing crazy laws or enacting crazy laws. And so hopefully that continues, but who knows? Yeah, I'd say, uh, as far as like the MDC goes, I think they're, I think they do a pretty good job. You know, yeah. I know that you know, there's some people that don't agree with everything that they do or where the money get goes. But um, like I said before, there's so many public places to go and hunt and fish and camp or do whatever you want. Missouri, obviously I'm not familiar with a lot of, you know, other States. I'm sure that they're probably similar or the same, but I feel like we have so many opportunities here to no matter what time of year it is that you can go and do something. And our, for out-of-state hunters, our tags really aren't that expensive either. You know, like we're for the most part, I'd say a pretty welcoming state to out-of-state hunters. Oh yeah. Yeah. I tell people all the time, like most of the guests on the show have an open invite to come hang out and hunt, um, see what Missouri has to offer. But I've been very surprised with the amount of infrastructure that they put in place for hunters, like what Missouri Department of Conservation does, even not hunting, but like the boat ramps and stuff on the rivers, the Mm -hmm. spots that you can take in and out. If you're a canoe or kayaker, um, the trail systems that they have here, there is so much opportunity 
to enjoy the outdoors, even if you don't hunt and fish. And a lot of that comes through MDC. Yeah. Through the yeah sale of tags and everything like that. Yeah. Like that, uh, that conservation area where we put in for that management hunt, that place is very well taken care of. Like you, the campground, cause we'll, we camp up there when we do get drawn. Um, the campground's nice, the bathrooms, like they're not, you know, they don't have like, uh, they're not like running water and stuff like that, but they're still maintained. Like somebody yeah. has to go and do that. And if you look at any other public operation, like half the time you're walking into the just disgusting bathrooms and stuff like that. So these are out in the middle of nowhere on 6,000 acres, but somebody is still going out there and taking care of them. So just little things like that. At least I appreciate stuff like that. And I'm sure other people do. Oh yeah. Seeing, I mean, even seeing the road access that they put in, it might be gravel, but they typically maintain it. They don't let the potholes yeah. like get super deep to where you're going to blow out a tire, jack your suspension up. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm very happy. I think Missouri's doing it right in a lot of senses in a bunch of other states where I hear people complain about their fish and game agencies all the time. And I'm like, I, I wonder where the disconnect is, like why that state sucks at it and Missouri's great at it. Um, they need like a trade show where it's like, hey guys, come hang out at my booth and we're going to tell you all about what we do so that you guys can do it too. How to be more personable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's uh, like that management hunt. It's um, in Callaway County, but there's always uh, an office, like a conservation agent there. So anytime we have questions about anything, like where we can go, where we can't go. Well, it, you know, for the most part, that stuff's clearly marked out on the map, but there's always somebody there. Like we can just run up to the little guard shack or whatever it's called and talk to somebody. That's a big thing for me as well, because you just, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Anything could happen while you're there. So knowing that, you know, they're kind of going the extra mile, I guess it's a big deal. And anytime I've had any interaction, you know, not in a bad way, I've never gotten in trouble, but like just talking to conservation agent, it's always been an overall good experience. So, yeah, they've been, they've been really friendly. I mean, even I've been with people who have gotten tickets before for something like either an oversight on their part or they just didn't know. Um, and the agents have always still been very friendly. It's not like they're coming down on you. It's like, Hey man, like you're getting a ticket, but for next time, just change it, fix it. Um, and luckily it's never been an extreme violation. Like somebody might have a couple rounds of lead shot instead of steel when they're waterfowl hunting and they just didn't realize it was in their bag or, I, I think one time, actually one guy got busted for a couple things. He was a first time hunter. I explained everything to him. I went over with, cause I had two new hunters and one veteran, um, hunter as far as waterfowl goes that I was taking out. And on the way there, I was like, all right, here's your licenses that you need. Do you have all of them? Everyone's like, yes. Okay. Do you have a plug in your gun? Yes. Okay. It can only take three, right? Yes okay, you all, you all have steel shot and that's it, right? Yes. We get there, we're hunting public land. We look over, see a pair of green pants coming through the marsh towards us. And I'm like, oh, we're going to get checked, whatever. I was like, hey, let's just back out of the water and we'll go and talk to him. So we back out and yeah, the one dude, he was missing one of his, one of his licenses that he had to have and he had lead shot. And I'm just like, dang, man. Luckily he... <laughs> 
didn't need a plug because he was using a single shot breakover. And uh, the the agent was like, hey, man, like, here's the deal. You can't do this. And then he actually kind of got onto me just a little bit and was like, he said, you invited him hunting. This is his first time duck hunting. Like, you should have gone over this with him. And then I, I looked at my buddy Taylor and I was like, hey, jerk, I asked you about all this stuff <laughs> on the drive here. Like, don't try yeah. to throw me under the bus. Um, but yeah, still a very good interaction and encounter with with law enforcement out there. And I feel like as long as you're not just blatantly breaking the law, they're very understanding and very polite in every encounter that I've had. Yeah. Um, so in 2019, we got, so the management hunt I keep talking about, we started putting in for this management hunt in 2006. Uh, or 2006, my stepdad, and my stepbrother, they got drawn. Nice. Uh, we had known about the property cause we rabbit hunt. We have beagles. Um, so we get, you can run the dogs up there and we rabbit hunt there. That's how we found out about it. Cause every time we go in there to rabbit hunt, there was just deer sign everywhere, you know, rubs, scrapes. So in 2006, they put in for it. I think I was in eighth grade at the time. Uh, they got drawn, they went. And then my, uh, my stepbrother ended up killing like 125, 130 inch eight pointer off that management hunt and then my stepdad uh shot and missed at a uh he said it was bigger than the 143 11 pointer that he has he said it was a lot bigger than that so after that he's like you want to go you want to in on the card you can put six people on the card and i was like oh cool you know hell yeah like <laughs> put me on there so put my name down uh, four times <laughs> yeah so from 2006 when they got drawn to 2016 which i didn't go on the card that year um I just, I couldn't go. So I was like, don't put me on there. Don't worry about it. They got drawn again in 2016. So they went 10 years without getting drawn. And I was like, what in the heck? Like the one year I don't go on there, yep. our card gets drawn. So we go from 2016 to 2019. Well, Missouri had started the preference points somewhere between 2006 and 2000. I don't know when for sure. Yeah. But in, in 2019, I had 12 preference preference points so take that and divide it by they would have had two each so we each had like three or four points each well we got drawn i'd never been up there to deer hunt um seen some deer that had been killed there seen signs of deer and stuff like that so um we go up there and the first week in november we were like all right we're gonna take the campers up there we'll stay the whole week we'll hunt as much as we can so the fourth of november i uh I, I had sat like eight times or 10 times and only seen like six deer. Like I wasn't seeing hardly any deer. And I was like, man, this place isn't really what I thought it was going to be. So I took, I was the, it was a, a Monday, I think the 4th of November. And, uh, I'm sitting in the truck, my truck, I'd fallen asleep in my truck waiting to go back out in between hunts. And like, I like to be in the stand by two 30 usually. And it's like, 245 and my uncle knocks on the window he's like hey you going hunting and i was like yeah he's like well where are you going i was like well i'm gonna go to danny my stepdad i was like i'm gonna go sit in his stand so i go there and uh hadn't seen really anything all night and then right before dark i hear uh a grunt behind me and we'd set this stand up on the a logging road an old logging road on this piece of conservation land but right across the fence was a huge standing cornfield so i'm like this has to be and there's a low spot in the fence i was like this has to be a good spot like something's got to be coming in here eating in this field and then right in front of the stand was thick bedding 
So I'm sitting there and right before dark, I hear this real like guttural, like deep grunt. And I look over my shoulder and this little, I don't even know how this doe was old enough to be in heat, jumps across the fence. And then I hear another grunt and I look back. And as I'm looking back, the buck runs into the fence. He's so focused on the doe. He kind of like bounces off the fence. And when he jumped across the fence, he was literally like five yards, like pretty much directly right under me. Jeez. So I draw back. I still, all I know is that he has four on one side and it's his offside that I can tell he has four on. I don't really know how big he is. Um, I, so I draw back, my peep site doesn't rotate and I go to let down. And as I go to let down, he looks at me and I'm like, well, I guess I'm shooting this deer without a peep site. So yeah. I, I was shooting a one pin spot hog at the time. I just put what I thought was going to be all vitals in my side housing. I was like, he's at five yards. There's no way I messed this up. Yep. So I shoot and I hit him high in the shoulder. It goes down in. I knew that the arrow wasn't, I didn't get a pass through. He runs off and uh, my stepdad had came back to Owensville to help my mom look for a deer that she had shot that night. So I did, I shot the deer right before dark and then I called him and he's like, well, how big do you think it was? And I'm like, I don't know, 130 inches. I was like, I know he's a good, he's a decent deer. He looks old. And, uh, he's like, all right, well, I'm going to help your mom look for this deer and then I'll be back up there. So from like six o'clock to like 10 o'clock, he, it took him that long. Cause from where the conservation is land is to my house is like, or my parents' house is like an hour and a half, almost two hours. So he helped her look for the deer, then drove up there and he got there about 10 o'clock. Well, we're at deer camp. So I go back to the we go back to camp and we're talking, I'm telling everybody what happened, drink a few beers. And, uh, finally he shows up, we get out there, we end up finding the deer and it ended up being a the deer scored 153 inches and he's oh. a eight pointer. Yeah. So much tank. bigger than what I thought. Yeah. And, uh, I, uh, so we're in the woods and I'm like, all right, I got to check it in. Well, in the midst of a couple of beers, I had all the excitement. I ended up tagging that deer in with a, a doe tag for, uh, oh, the no. property that we lived on. So, uh, we get back, we get the deer, you know, gutted and everything. And we're sitting around the fire and it's like 11, 12 o'clock. And I'm looking at my tag to make sure I had done everything right. And I'm like, Oh man, I was like, I used the wrong tag. So I used the right tag and immediately my phone rings and I'm like, well, I don't know this number. And it's a conservation agent for Callaway County. He's like, Hey, um, I just noticed that you checked two deer in a night and, uh, you checked in an antler doe or something. And, uh, I was like, I explained it to him, which brings me back to what we were talking about. The whole conversation, just, he wasn't like mad, ignorant, nothing, just completely cool. He's like, Oh, okay. No problem. I understand. And, uh, he's like, we'll just call Jeff city tomorrow or Monday. And they'll issue that tag back to you that you messed up on. So, Dang. you know, I incorrectly tagged the deer, but I, I guess he, since I told him about it and, everything you know i was honest with him he was really cool about it i got my tag issued back to me the doe tag and that was the end of it never heard anything else about it man that's awesome um yeah luckily i've i've had very few interact negative interactions with fishing game in any state that i've been in they've always been pretty cool um you know i've seen people get tickets for things that i'm like really I think one time it was one of my family members. They got a ticket because in like just a verbal um, 
basically they were just asking questions, right? They were asking questions about how, how bird hunting had been, how they did last year. Well, when you fill out, when you go to buy a, a duck or a goose license, it's definitely in Wisconsin. Um, they ask like, did you hunt last year? If so, how many days, what was the window of birds that you shot? Like zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 plus something like that. Anyways, one of my family members was just talking to a conservation agent out in the field and they were like, Hey, how many, you know, did you, did you get this year so far? And they told them and they're like, what about last year? Did you get quite a few? Do you guys usually shoot a lot? And they gave them the numbers and the conservation agent was like, well, that's not what I've got here. It shows that you actually <laughs> shot between this many and this many. And they gave him a ticket because he just verbally was like, oh, yeah, I think it was this many. Dude, I don't remember how many birds I shot last year. I can give you a guess, but I that was the one that I was blown away by, that it was just and they even, in a conversation. I mean, yeah, like didn't. doesn't even sound like something you could do. It <laughs> sounded like, 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 oh, yeah, it, it absolutely blew me away. And, I mean, even to this day, me and him talk about it, and we're like, can you believe that that actually happened? And I'm sure there was a way to fight it and stuff, but also – I don't think any fishing game agency is who I want to go head to head with. Um, right. Yeah. Other than that, everything's been pretty, pretty cordial between me and anybody I hunt with and fishing game. So, um, Hey, switching topics real quick. We had talked about this, I think right before we started recording, you got some first light gear for Christmas. Mm -hmm. How do you like it? I, I haven't got to use it much in the field yet, but, um, like I was telling you, I got it for Christmas and I, I think there's maybe been like three nights since Christmas that I haven't worn it just around the house, <laughs> at least the hoodie. Yeah. So, uh, I definitely, and well, Sunday we went out, you know, we got snow over the weekend. I took my kids out Sunday, played in the snow and I wore this under just a really light jacket and it was more than enough to keep me warm. So, um, I'm looking forward to getting able to use it, like actually take it out in the woods and see how it holds up and how, you know, how, if it keeps me warm or dry or whatever. Yeah. So, um, have you, have you gone out rabbit hunting a bunch yet? Or do you guys typically no. wait till after the first couple of freezes for that? Yeah, typically we'll wait for the first frost or second, somewhere around in there, like, like major frost. Um, but the last couple of years, we just really haven't gone as much as we used to. Um, I don't know if it's just lack of time or what it is, but I'm hoping that that changes. Cause it most of, here recently, um, I don't even really take a gun anymore. I just like listening to the dogs run. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, I, I got into hunting behind beagles two years ago and by got into it, I mean, I've gone with a buddy who's got beagles. Absolutely love it. We used to, um, rabbit hunt just by jumping on brush piles. Like me and my buddies, we'd go and kick brush piles yeah. and we'd all circle around it and see, see if one would kick out. Well, the main hunting property I have, it is unbelievable for rabbits. I think just doing that, me, my buddy Chris, and his dad, we shot like 17 rabbits one day just going and Dang. kicking brush piles and talking with my buddy Andrew, who's got beagles. He's like, dude, I don't have many 17 rabbit days, period, and I've got dogs <laughs> that are trained to rabbit hunt. Um, but we did have a couple of decent days. We had one spot. He brought his beagle out, and she's tiny. She's like two pounds bigger than a rabbit. I mean, she is so small and she'll get down in any hole. We had seven rabbits 
over the course of one day kick out of the same brush pile. And I was like, dude, I could get behind this. But also if I got a dog for every sport that like for every (laughs) hunting activity, I'd have to open a kennel and, you know, it would probably jack with HOA issues and all that good stuff. We, we have, um, well, my stepdad has, uh, two now, but at one point I think we were running like 10 dogs at a time when I was like a teenager because, um, my stepdad and his brother, they all, well, their dad, they got, um, the mail from their dad when he passed away. Uh, his name was Jack, the, the male beagle, and then just kind of bred him, you know, continuously down the line. So there's, I have, uh, one sister and two brothers. So at one point, all four of us had a beagle and then my stepdad had two. So we had six just at our house. And then his brother had, you know, two or three mature, like old that were old enough to go out and hunt. And then probably a half a litter that were like puppies still that stayed back that we didn't bring out at, at the time. Yeah. So yeah, when you hear like 10 beagles chasing one rabbit, it's, it's pretty cool. That sounds amazing. Yeah, watching his dog work, she's old. I think she was like 11 last year. And he's like, man, this is probably going to be her last year, but she just loves it. He's like, I I would feel bad loading up the new pup. And he just, he typically only would run one. But now that she's getting up there, he's got another dog that he's running with her to kind of get trained before she's gone. And um, yeah, watching her, And just how she goes from like an old dog that seems like it just wants to lay in front of a fireplace for the rest of its life to like so much energy tail is whipping back and forth faster than I've ever seen a dog tail swing around and just getting on scent. And I think that is one of the cooler things that you can do as a hunter is to train an animal to also help you in whatever hunting activity, whether it's bird like duck and goose um upland rabbit even even blood tracking or or shed hunting i i want to get a dog that can kind of do everything i'm sure everybody wants that yeah. but uh I'm yeah i'd try. really like to have a dog that could go find sheds because uh i'm terrible at it so yeah. <laughs> like if i had a dog that can go and do it that'd be awesome yeah because i i don't know i just uh I think I like having finding sheds and like holding sheds and just looking at sheds as much as I like looking at the deer that I've killed. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's, a, it's an addiction. They say there's like some weird deal with gold when people hold it, there's like this energy about it and like the way it feels people get addicted to gold or like they become infatuated with it. And it's been that way throughout basically all of human history. I feel the exact same way about antlers any type. I mean, it could be at my buddy's house and he's like, dude, I found this mule deer shed. And I'm just (laughs) like, Oh, I just, I wish I could hold this forever, you know? And, uh, I just won't, I won't ever let antlers go. It doesn't matter if it's a spike deadhead that I found, like I'll chop the horns off that thing and bring them home. Yeah. My, uh, my buddy killed a 150 inch buck this past year or past season and he's got like the horns are still at his house and I've been over there several times. And every time I go over there, I pick them up. I mean, I know what they look like. I've yeah. seen that. I, I got to watch the deer go like grow through velvet and then to like pictures of him 
before he killed him and everything. But every time I go over there, I pick those those horns up and I just stare at them. I don't know. I could do it all day pretty much. See, I will say that I, I've shot one deer in velvet and it was up in Alaska. And I'm not as intrigued to like mess with. I've, I just got it European mounted and I don't mess with that or like admire it as much as hard horned uh, hmm. European mounts. So I don't know what it is. I mean, it was a fun hunt. One of the coolest hunts I've ever been on. One of the most beautiful places I've ever been. But it's in velvet, and I don't know why. I just, it was kind of weird. Maybe it was that I was separated from it for so long because I had to have someone up there do the Euro mount. Um, I couldn't bring back any, like, brain matter or anything like that. And so, and and I didn't have time to do it while I was there. And so maybe... Maybe that has something to do with it. I wasn't near the the antlers for probably six or eight months. Um, oh, wow. And so that's got to have something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I think for me, part of that would be like, I don't want to mess it up. Like, I don't want to like knock the velvet off of it or like something to happen to it. Because, I mean, like you can glue an antler back on, but you, I don't think you can put it or it'd probably be pretty hard to put velvet back on. So, no, and from I what I understand, be... you have to be very, you have to act pretty quick if you shoot something in velvet in order to get it preserved right. I mean, yeah, for us, it was like same day, probably four hours from the time I shot it to the time we got back to the truck, got it to the guy who was going to take care of it. No, it was definitely longer than that because we made it back to the house four hours later. It probably, it was probably a full 12 hours before it got back is, but i can only imagine like if it's bouncing around in a truck going down a dirt road anything <laughs> like that like it would tear that stuff up yeah but <clears throat> well man um, yeah i got go ahead oh go ahead oh, i was just gonna say my we moved into this house that we're in now in june and i haven't gotten to hang my uh my like my shoulder mounts up in the living room or wherever we decide to put them and they're hanging down in the basement i'll go down there sometimes and just like dust them off and make sure they're all like pretty still. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I've got, we're like in the middle of moving, transitioning, doing all this different stuff. And so I've got all of my stuff up at my buddy's shop. I hung it all up on the same wall. He's got a bunch of his up there. And so now we just have this like 12 foot chunk of wall that is covered in either shoulder mounts or Europeans or just like, the old school caps, you know, uh, yeah. that, I mean, my parent, my mom used to do that all the time. She still does it to a lot of her deer where you just saw the skull cap off and then mount that on a plate or wrap it in some type of felt and then mount it on a plate. Um, but yeah, it's pretty sweet. I hope one day to just have an awesome garage shed, man cave, whatever covered in all of my taxidermy yeah. and, and sheds that I, I don't find. definitely have to be a separate room from the house. My fiance hunts, but she's not huge on the whole, like having dead animals hanging everywhere. So we had to, uh, like she got, uh, she shot an eight pointer last year, her biggest buck. And it's, it should be done actually here pretty shortly at the taxidermy in the next couple of weeks. Taxidermist. Nice. So, uh, she's got another one mounted and then I have, I have three shoulder mounts and three European mounts. So I, I told her that I would just hang two of mine and she could hang her two up here in the living room. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just, I'd alternate, you know, every time I killed one bigger, I just alternate the next smallest one back down to the basement or wherever. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to, 
before long, I'm going to have to get my own space that is completely dedicated to just taxidermy. And I've really enjoyed furs too. Like I shot a huge beaver out in Colorado. And so I had a, a fur or a rug made out of that. I've had a couple of my deer where I've sent the hide in to get tanned. And I'm like, this is cool. I want a full wall that is just like deer hides and then all of my taxidermy over the top of it. And I feel like it would be great soundproofing for a podcast studio if it was all yeah, cool. on the wall. So that's that's we'll something I'd like to happen. get done too. Not a whole room probably, but like I'd like to get one hide tanned and just hang up somewhere. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, especially like now I had one from years and years ago and I'm sure there's a way to treat them and keep them soft. But like the most recent one that I got back, it was like the softest. I wanted just a full blanket made out of it or like a sweatshirt that I could wear around at night because it was awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's hanging up there at his place also. Well, hey, man, I don't I, I hate to cut this short. I can't believe it's been an hour and five minutes already. I like looked over at the yeah. at my soundboard and it has like a rolling timer. But I feel like we could talk way more than this. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time and I want to give you an opportunity to share with the listeners how they can find you, how they can keep up with what you've got going on, um, on social media or whatever platform. Uh, yeah, so I'm not real. I don't post on my personal page a whole lot of, uh, hunting stuff. Um, my brother and one of our buddies started, uh, an outdoor page a couple of years ago. It's a MTH outdoors, more than hunting outdoors. Um, so most of, you know, any fish that we catch or deer or anything that we harvest, it goes on there. Um, and then my personal Instagram is CA Hopkins 0824. Um, that's just kind of my life, you know, kids, hobbies, stuff like that. There are hunting pictures on there, but most of it's on the MTH page. Nice. Well, yeah, I'll be sure to put the links of that in the bio and the description of this podcast episode. Um, and then, ooh, I've got to ask another question before we sign off. I ask this to almost everyone I forget, and I almost did today. But <laughs> if you could hunt anything, anywhere, with any weapon, what would it be? Hmm. Um, right now, uh, I'd probably do whitetail in either illinois or iowa with a bow nice. i was on my bucket list um it, it'd probably be iowa i mean you have to look if you look at mark drury lee Lakowski, and all those guys up there in iowa just killing monsters year after year there's something about it that just really draws me to the state so yeah yeah it's it's intriguing I've, i guess i've never thought about that being a bucket list item for me, like hunting a whitetail in a new state. Cause I've hunted whitetail in several States at this point, nothing crazy, never shot like a monster. Um, but one thing that's been on my radar lately is going out West and trying to hunt whitetail in either Wyoming or Montana or Idaho. Like there's little patches of ag country out there that, grow some really nice whitetail that I think are overlooked. Yeah. I've been, I have a couple preference points for Montana for deer. Oh, nice. That's one of my, yeah, that, that one's on my list as well. Um, a buddy that I know from around here, he's went out to, uh, 
he's been out there, I think, mule deer hunting. And then he killed a pretty good mule deer in Colorado last year. And he's been just buying, because I think it's like 50 bucks for a preference point in Montana. So he's like, let's just buy preference points until we know for sure we can both go one year. And yeah. uh, we've been doing that. So hopefully in the next couple of year or two or whatever, you know, sometime in the next five years for sure we get to go out there. Yeah. Yeah. Western hunting is a whole different ball game. And I just like how available it is. And hopefully we can get the word out on that to more Eastern hunters. Cause I feel like when you grow up in the Midwest, anywhere East of the Mississippi, especially, it seems like your opportunities for hunting big game are pretty limited to whitetail, but mm-hmm. going out West, I mean, there are so many cool opportunities for non-residents, even bear like the past couple of years, Colorado has had over the counter bear licenses that you could buy in several units for only a hundred dollars. And oh, I did not know that. Yeah, a lot of people didn't. And all of my Colorado buddies are probably going to hate me now that I'm telling everyone <laughs> about it. But, um, yeah, you can like, even this year we went out there and several of us during our elk hunt bought bear tags for a hundred bucks. I mean, that was it. Nothing I fancy, think, no hmm. preference points, just an over the counter tag. My big thing with it, like growing up in Missouri and like only hunting Missouri for the majority of my life is that I just thought going out like to like Utah or Wyoming or someplace like that was just so expensive. And then like 2019, I got to go on an elk hunt in Utah. I was like, I think it cost me like 800 bucks for my tag. And of course I had to buy a bunch of stuff that I didn't have, but you know, now I have majority of that. So if I go back in the future, it's just going to be the cost of a tag really. Yeah. And then, you know, food and, or, you know, wherever we stay, but I just always assumed that it was just big expense, like a couple thousand dollars to go out there and, and do something like that. And it's really not. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's doable. And I'm even discovering that Alaska is actually pretty cheap. Like the travel is a huge expense for it. But once you're up there, you can get a lot of different tags for only a couple hundred bucks. And Hmm. that's, that's my dream. I mean, I want to go up there. Hopefully this year I can make a trip up there. Uh, (laughs) I really appreciate you hopping on the show with me and hopefully we can get together. It's, it's cool when I get to connect with people who are somewhat local and, uh, maybe we can plan a hunt together soon. Yeah. Uh, turkey season's coming up. I'm, you know, you're into turkey hunting. I'm trying to, I don't know if I can get us on any private property, but I can definitely take you on some conservation ground. It's funny. I, I'm not the biggest fan of turkey hunting. I enjoy doing it. Don't get me wrong, but I am not like a diehard got to go. If I miss a turkey season, it's not going to be the end of the world to me, but I find myself talking about it a ton. And I'm like, maybe there's some subconscious thing inside of me that absolutely loves it because I feel like I've talked about it on 80% of my recent podcasts. Uh, for me, like I went out, like I said, got to go to Utah and elk hunt and the guys I went with go every year. And they're like, I was like, man, I don't know if I'll like this. And they're like, well, you like turkey hunting, don't you? And I was like, yeah, you know, like that's probably my second favorite kind of hunting. And I got out there and, uh, you're walking through the woods, you know, calling to, to bulls and get, trying to get them to answer you. And it's very similar, at least to me, you know, because that's what we were doing during turkey season. At least that's how I like to turkey hunt. I like that whole run and gun style of turkey hunting. Yeah. So. If you like trekking through the mountains, chasing after things, I think you'd probably enjoy it. 
Yeah, I that's been the bulk of my experience with turkey hunting is running gun. I can't call to save my life. Every time <laughs> I try, they're hanging out in a different field. And I'm like, I'd rather creep up on them or cut them off wherever they're headed and try to shoot them that way. And I'm just not that patient. So, um, but yeah, we'll have to get something going. Um, we'll keep in touch and try to get a hunt planned here for the spring sometime. Yeah, sounds good. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I had a great time chatting with Chad and I look forward to hunting with him here in the near future. It's always fun to talk to people that are somewhat local because it's easy to meet up, hang out, share more stories, hopefully get on a hunt together. And I'm definitely looking forward to that. But what I'm looking forward to for tonight, I'm going to be heading over to my buddy Brad's house. He's been on the show before. We do guys night there every Thursday night. But I have recently found a newfound love for coyote hunting. And I think I'm going to do a lot of that this year. A lot more than I've ever done in the past. Including tonight. I'm going to go over there early. Get set up in his woods. He's only on 10 acres. But I hear so many coyotes howling when I go over there on Thursday nights. Or really anytime it starts to get dark. They just sound off like crazy. So I'm going to get the lucky duck call out there. My crazy critter i'm gonna set up i don't know if i'll take a shotgun my rifle maybe both i might just do both and uh try to do a set right before everybody shows up tonight so hopefully i have some cool stories to share with you on the next episode but if you guys are out there hunting fishing camping exploring whatever adventure you're taking part of please stay safe and until next time always choose adventure and god bless <laughs>